Five Forks. Hope you guys are having an amazing morning. I almost said Harrison Bridge. I'm used to saying that now, but I got it right. Uh, a couple of things real quick before we hop into our heart series. Uh, number one, just point out with Brandon, man, uh, he made it. He got all three here today. Uh, so, but no, very, very proud of you. And I, I, I'll give this shameless plug. I try to give it every time at, at all of our campuses, but I have the privilege now of, of holding two different roles. But one of my, my supreme privileges is serving on our student team and serving with people like Brandon Shiley. And I told the last service, hey, if you're a student or if you're a parent and your student is not connected with our student ministry, I lovingly mean this. That's on you and you need to change that. I can promise you God is up to some stuff in our student ministry uh, at all of our campuses on midweek. I'll share about that in just a little while. But it's something you as a student and a family need to be a part of there. Secondly, Dustin asked me if I was going to share this. And being a South Carolina fan, I am obligated to share this. Uh, he said, are you going to share about Tennessee? Okay. So we didn't have a great night last night. Y'all didn't come here to hear that, but I have to say this. And I'll say congratulations to Tennessee for winning their Super Bowl, apparently. Uh, I guess after you get knocked out of the playoffs last year by us, that's, this is your Super Bowl, beating a below-average team like us. But hey, be that as it may, congrats, Dustin, whenever you watch this. We're so excited for your team. Whatever. Uh, so... Be that as may, we're going to talk about our heart this morning. We're continuing with our second series, uh, excuse me, second week in a series. Last week, we talked about adversity. I know for me, I thought that was a super applicable topic. And one of the reasons why is there is rarely a week that goes by where I don't face some type of adversity, be it on the macro level or even a minute level that only I know about. That is, I am always facing some type of adversity, and I think you are as well. And so I thought, oh man, this is going to be the most impactful week of this series. Well, then we turn the page and we get to this one. And I don't know about you, but this one is like super convicting, like even more convicting. As we talk about the topic of distractions, you don't need a sermon this morning to tell you that we are a distracted people. And even the person that may act holier than thou in here and say, well, I'm not distracted. Yes, you are distracted. You're just lying about it. Here's the thing. We are a distracted people one way or the other. As we'll talk this morning, we can be distracted about good things. But let's own the temptation in the room and say, hey, when we talk distraction in the 21st century, our minds instantly go to this little device up here, right? Oh, yes, that's the point of distraction. While that is a part of what we're talking about today, it's not all of it. But I will share this article with you that CNN came out with this past week. And it was like remarkable timing. They shared in the article that teenagers have, on average, uh, each day on their phones, 237 notifications. And everybody's like, that's crazy. Like, even the last servants, they were like, ooh, and ah. And I was like, but, because most of those were adults in there, adults have 50 notifications. You say, well, that's not as much, Corey. You're right, but your teenager also isn't working a full-time job and having other responsibilities. It cuts both ways here. The phone is just as much a distraction for the teenager as it is for mom and dad. We just like to play the parent card with that, right? So understanding distraction abounds all around us. You don't have to seek distraction out. Distraction seeks you out. On our natural curve of our hearts here, we understand that we are prone to distraction. And the key to this all whole heart series is understanding this is not a series meant to clean up behavior or to modify behavior. Rather, as is the theme verse for this series, Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart flow the wellsprings of life, we have to understand that where our hearts are, that's where our life is. To put it another way, I'm married to a beautiful lady named Melody, and if I said to you, man, I love my wife, but I go home today, this afternoon, 
I turn on NFL Red Zone as I do almost every single Sunday afternoon. I watch eight games at once because it's one of the most glorious things that you can do there. And Melody tries to talk to me, and I just shoo her away, but then she sends me a text message because I won't talk to her. I delete the text message. She tries to call me later on, the last-ditch effort, but I ignore the phone call. Do I love my wife? No. And so what we find is that our actions often, or I wouldn't say often, always indicate where our hearts are. And so with each week in this series today, especially with distractions, we can say, I'm not a distracted person, but look at your schedules, look at your actions. And that is showing us that our hearts are, in fact, tempted with distractions today. And so the question becomes, well, what do we do with it? How do we handle this? Well, if you're not a Christian in here, if you're not a follower of Jesus, one, I'm excited that you're here. You're in the exact right place that you should be. I hope that this message is encouraging to you, but also challenging. Because here's the challenging aspect of it. It's challenging because what we find is that unless something bigger than this world changes my life, a.k.a. Jesus, I am prone to be enslaved to distractions. That is simply put, that if I don't know Jesus, there is no hope for me to make it out of distraction. I'll jump from one distraction to the next, from one good thing to the next. And here's the end road of that. Here's the end goal of that. You find yourself exhausted and sitting in a place of destruction, miserable nature, and loneliness there. And so for you, if you don't know Jesus, the, the move already for you is to sit back and to see a Jesus who is better, to see a Jesus who is bigger than the distractions that you face. But for the follower of Jesus in here, what does it mean for you? How do we combat distractions? As we said, we're not just trying to clean up behavior and be a little less distracted and, oh, I need to set more screen time limits tomorrow and this and that. No, distraction is bigger than that. So we have to have a bigger answer. And what we see overall, the theme for today is this, that to effectively combat distraction, I must know and love and be committed to one who is bigger than those distractions. I must know, love, and be committed to Jesus for me to effectively fight distraction. Because if not, I'll fall prey to distraction every single time. No matter how many safeguards I put in place there. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark 1. It's where we'll be camping out. Some of these verses will be up on the screen for you. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, what we'll find is that Jesus gives us a blueprint for how to combat distractions. And it'll give us three points to unpack that. But let me give you a little bit of a running start here about the Gospel of Mark and about Mark chapter 1. Gospel of Mark is 16 chapters. It's my favorite gospel because it's the shortest gospel. But really, on a more spiritual sense, it's my favorite gospel. Here's why. He's a man that, that just gets to the point. That's my type of guy. There's no flowery language. There's no poetry. There's no, oh, we're going to go around 55 different curves to get to the point we're trying to make. He just tells you like it is. There's no ambiguity with Mark here. And I love that. It's a fast-paced gospel. And you hear from the beginning what the purpose of his gospel is. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The bookend to this is in Mark 15.34, where the Roman centurion, who's a pagan, kneels at the cross as Jesus has just died. And he says, truly, this man was the Son of God. These are the bookends to Mark. So if you say, well, what is Mark getting at here? What is his purpose? Even what we're talking about there, what is he trying to show us ultimately about Jesus? It's to show us that he's the Son of God, the Savior of this world. And so Mark moves pretty fast after making that statement. He shows us the baptism of Jesus, the temptation of Jesus, where Satan tempts him three times in the wilderness, and Jesus appeals to Scripture each time. After that, he starts his ministry. He calls his first disciples. He heals a man with an unclean spirit, and that leads them to the house of Peter. In our passage today, he'll be called Simon, but Simon and Peter are the same one there. And so he's at the house of Peter. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and at this point in time, in this culture, there wasn't a lot of hope if this was the case. 
But Jesus shows up, heals this lady, and then what we find is that the crowds start to come. And they start to come in mass here. And what that means is at sundown, Mark makes it a point to tell us that the crowds were showing up to be healed by Jesus. And they had never seen anything like this. Here's this seemingly random guy from Galilee showing up with power that no one has ever seen before. And everybody is up in arms in a good way here. They're looking at this guy and they're wanting more of it. And so more and more sick and uh, possessed people show up and he's healing them. And what we're told in the immediate context that we're going to find our passage in is that it's a late night for Jesus. He is healing so many people. He starts at sundown that it's a late night. He gets to bed pretty late. In this day and time, in this culture, that's a really big deal. Because after the sun went down, you couldn't do a whole lot. It's not like today where, man, we can grind late at night at work if we need to because we have modern-day electricity and such. But for Jesus here, he works late into the night, and that's going to set up this passage we're going to read. And it's going to be the backdrop of showing us the blueprint for fighting temptation as followers of Jesus. So look with me, Mark 1, verse 35. We'll read through verse 37. You'll see that on the screen. And then I'll uh, read 38 and 39, though it won't be on the screen. Mark 1, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, that's Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, these won't be on the screen. But verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So three things that we see here today in this passage is we ask the question, how can we as followers of Jesus fight distraction? How can we make sure our hearts are seated in the right place here? How can we get beyond even just behavioral modification and to the root of the source here? Well, three points to help us unpack that. Number one is this. In fighting distraction, our hearts must be prepared to make consistent sacrifice. Consistent sacrifice. Here's one of the things about Jesus' life that blows my mind. Here's a man, the God-man, who is the son of God. And he prioritizes on a consistent basis prayer with God time alone with God. Like that's, that's mind blowing to me. Like I know I need prayer. I know I need a lot of prayer. You may know you need prayer, but Jesus, man, you, you've just healed all these people. You've just cured people who are demonically possessed. You, you've done all these things. You really need to go and spend time alone. And here's the thing. It's a consistent hallmark of his ministry that communicates. Yes. In fact, in Mark's gospel, 16 chapters, we find that prayer is mentioned three times. You say, well, that's not a lot, Corey. Actually, by Mark's terms, as we said, a very brief and fast-moving gospel without a lot of detail, for him to mention something three times, that is highly significant. And what we find is that for Jesus, even outside of the gospel of Mark, prayer was a regular rhythm in his life. He consistently withdrew and spent time alone with the Father. In fact, the three instances that were mentioned in Mark are here as he prays after a long day of healing, and then he'll continue his ministry. Later on, you'll find Jesus feeding 5,000 people. He will withdraw to the mountainside. The disciples will leave on a boat. Then he'll walk on water there. But he starts that episode by praying to God at night. And then at the end, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is praying at night, 24 hours before his crucifixion day. So what we see is consistently, this is modeled in the life of Jesus. That no matter the temptation of distraction, and think about it, 
Distraction, we often think of it from the negative of phones, notifications, screens, you name it. But distraction can actually be good things in our lives. Jesus had just done a lot of good things the night before. He had just healed a ton of people. This was a good thing. So his distraction, the temptation there for him to be distracted was not even necessarily a bad thing. If he would have said, all right, well, let's get back to business and back to this event that I've been doing, we would have said, amen. That's great, Jesus. As we'll see later on, though, he had different priorities, which were actually the right priorities. But what we find in this moment is he's consistently choosing to make sacrifices no matter the temptation of distraction. He's consistently withdrawing to pray to God. We said he went to bed late and wakes up early. In fact, Mark is redundant in this. In verse 35, he says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Mark wants us to not miss that point. This wasn't just like two minutes before sunrise and he just opens his eyes. He's all right, God, let me pray a little more this morning. No, this was very early in the morning. The sun wasn't out. I'm not a morning person, so I don't see that time of day very often, all right? If you call me for something ministry-related, I'm not picking up my phone at 5 a.m. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm a heavy sleeper. This, this does not, like, for me, this is one of the most challenging things here. The man got up after a late night of ministry, and he seeks time along with God. This is sacrifice. He sacrifices creature comforts. In fact, Mark says that he goes to a desolate place. He withdraws to where there are little to no distractions so he can focus on the main things at hand. He can spend that time alone with God here. It's a consistent sacrifice that Jesus is willing to make to make sure that the main things are the main thing in his life, that he is fighting distraction and keeping his eyes on the purpose and the goal that he has set before him there. Consistent sacrifice. What does this look like in our life? You know, we, I even struggle for consistency in my life in a world that is this way one moment and that way the next moment. Even my schedule that varies from one side to the other given whatever week and whatever's going on event-wise. Consistency is often hard to come by. We don't expect consistency because we live in an inconsistent world. And we definitely don't expect sacrifice because this is a me, myself, and I world. And, and let me give you just a, a quick picture of how this temptation manifests itself in my life on a weekly basis. Especially right now, as I said, God's been doing some amazing things in our student ministry. And especially in our midweek time period. What we've seen really for the past four or five weeks is record numbers at midweek. Running double what we did last year. We can't put our finger on it. Only thing we can say is Jesus is showing up. He is changing lives. To give you just some numbers to, to quantify that. Our Hillcrest group, our Hillcrest Hackers, Hillcrest Hackers, Hillcrest high school group last year that was running 20 to 25 they've run anywhere from 90 to 115 the past three weeks and we don't know why it's happened other than it's jesus but here's what i find myself doing because it's real easy it's real easy because i come off of a wednesday night i'm an extrovert i'm amped up i have to come home and literally just sit on the couch because i'm just so man 100 miles an hour in my mind just so jacked up and so i'm sitting here and i start to think to myself all right, God, I've just had a good night of ministry. We've just seen some really good numbers. We might have even seen a student saved. We've seen groups filled with students who want to know about Jesus. And God, you know I'm exhausted. So can I just sleep in a little bit tomorrow? Can I just skip my quiet time in the morning? I'll get to it later in the day. I don't really feel like waking up early because, God, I've exhausted myself for you tonight. And this is where distractions come into play here. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, right? 
It doesn't seem, oh, well, of course you've earned it, right? That's what we tell ourselves. Distraction gives us an easy excuse every time. But here's the danger in that. I start sacrificing in that morning. That morning turns into a day. That day turns into a week. And next thing you know, I look up. And man, I am so far from Jesus because I've allowed myself to be distracted even by good things. We can all go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, while the sin of pride is there, also I believe that the sin of distraction is there as well. I believe it's one of the enemy's greatest tactics and weapons of greatly curtailing the ministry that we're called to, the purpose that we're called to. We find Eve there, and the serpent rolls up, and the serpent says, hey, did God really say? And he starts to distract her from the true word of God. He starts to deviate from that. Next thing you know, the whole creation goes off the rails. Distraction, if left unchecked, leads to destructive places. And so in this first point here, we have to understand that consistent sacrifice is needed to check our hearts. We must be willing to rearrange our schedules, to inconvenience ourselves, so that we focus on the great things of Jesus rather than the good things of ministry or the good things of just simply living in this world. But consistent sacrifice is paired as well with the second point, intentional effort. You see, it's not just by happenstance that Jesus wakes up one morning and says, oh, well, I drank a cup of coffee after that long night of ministry at 10 p.m., and I just happened to wake up at 4 a.m. this morning. Let me, let me go and pray. And Hey, if that's you, if that happens, amen. Please pray. But this doesn't happen accidentally. It is clear, even from the part before this passage that we read, Jesus is very deliberate. Jesus is very intentional with his movement and with his time. This is not by happenstance. This is not by accident that he somehow just falls into a time of prayer in a desolate place. It takes intentional choices and intentional effort on his part to be alone with God. Here's a man whose fame was skyrocketing. In fact, what we're told is that all the area of Galilee is like losing their minds in a good way because they've never seen this guy before and they've never seen these things done before. And so they have to run and go see this guy. They're clamoring for his attention. Just as for us, a lot of times say, maybe you don't have the crowds chasing after you, but you have screens clamoring for your attention. You're having social media beckon for your opinion that we somehow think matters, right? We have schedules that say they need to be packed. We have this or that, or maybe even good things that we feel like we got to be a part of. And so if we're not careful, we will fall into that distraction again. Jesus here gives us the antidote for it, if you will, intentional effort. He got up early, he departed, he went to a desolate place, and he prayed. There's no like magic bullet here, like some mystic stuff going on. It's simply priorities and discipline and intentionality with where he spends his time. An intentional nature about this man, about the God man himself, that he would wake up early intentionally. After a long night of ministry, as we said, he had an excuse. And we would have said, yeah, you know what, Jesus? You're well justified to sleep in late. You just healed a bunch of people. Amen. Take the day off. Take the day off spiritually. You've earned it. That's what we tell ourselves. And we wonder why distraction is so destructive in our lives. But it also takes that effort, that second part. An intentional nature, right? Intentional choices. And it's going to take some effort on my part. I don't just drift into an intentional time with God. I don't just lay down at night and say, well, I want to be more intentional with my time tomorrow. If I don't put any effort into it, that's just a pipe dream. 
one of the, the perks of my job is that I get to work with uh, students in any number of places, but one of my favorite things to do is that I work with Hillcrest football, and it's one of my favorite things I get to do about my job, and oftentimes we're talking about goals with them, smart goals, how to set tangible goals, relational goals, like all these goals, uh, time-sensitive goals, and this and that, and, and I, oftentimes when I walk into these type of meetings, I'll ask them a question, and I'll say, hey, so what, what do you want out of this season? And you get the proverbial answers, the right answers. I want to get stronger. I want to get faster. I want to do this or that. And I say, well, how do you do it? And you often get blank stares. Same thing if I was saying in this room, well, what do you want out of this Christian life? Well, I want to love Jesus more. How do you do it? You see, it takes intentional effort to plan that out. If I just say, man, I want to know God more, but I make no effort on my end, guess what? I'm not going to know God more. I have good intentions but without effort, that's all they are. It takes intentional effort. Jesus had the intention of rising early and put forth the effort to do so. Why? Because this was the fuel to the flame of his ministry. How could Jesus do the things that he did? One, he's the son of God. But two, he was spending that intentional time modeling it for us, getting his source, his strength from God, hearing from God, and letting that drive his ministry. His intentional effort was focused there. If I'm not intentionally putting effort into seeking God, I will drift away from God. And I will drift into the trap of distractions. And I will be loyal to sleep. So some upshot questions here for us. Some, some application questions is this. Where am I intentionally spending my time? We intentionally spend our time somewhere. For some of us, it's in front of a screen in our discretional time. For others of us, it's in working like crazy, like mad to advance our careers. For others of us, it's in hobbies or interests. And none of these things are necessarily bad when they're in the right place. But then we look up, especially as followers of Jesus, and we say, well, my goodness, why isn't my walk with Jesus going deeper? Why am I not growing in this relationship? Because I'm not putting forth the effort. I'm not being intentional with my time. You want to know what your heart really cares about? Where do you spend that free time, that intentional time? That's probably a good indicator of where your heart is. It takes intentional effort. And it leads us to the last one here, clear priorities. I would argue that this is actually the foundation for the other two. That without this, you're not going to have intentional effort or consistent sacrifice in your life. So I would even argue that this one, if you get none, none of the others, this is the one to get. Jesus has clear priorities here. He has his priorities in line. Of course, he's the son of God, but he also displays it here for us. Verse 36, and Simon, that is Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. That is, as one scholar said, they showed up. They were on a manhunt for him. And they show up, and, and again, the scholar pointed out this. What they say to him is a, a mild rebuke. Think about this. You've seen this man heal people unlike any other time. You've seen this man do some things that you've never seen before. And you show up, he's praying, and you say, hey, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing? Get back to the ministry here is essentially what they're saying. They, they think that the priority is the healing, that the priority is the event. The priority is the ministry. But really what Jesus showcases in his reply is that the priority, the purpose, is not the event or even the healing. The purpose is so that the kingdom of God may be made known. That men and women would come to know him. And this is why he says, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's his purpose. 
It's not just to check the box of a successful event from a night of healing and have it again part two the next day. It is his purpose is to make the kingdom of God known and to invite men and women to come home to God. That is his purpose here. And his priority is such so that when my priority is right, when his priority is in the right place as it always is, he is willing to sacrifice whatever may get in the way of it. Whatever distraction may crop up, Jesus is willing to say, but this is my purpose and I'm going to choose that over these distractions. That is the only way we overcome distractions. We have something that is bigger than these distractions. You say, well, I know Jesus, Corey, but, but how can I fight distractions? Well, here's the thing. His same purpose to preach the gospel, to live the gospel out, is your same purpose. You say, wait a second, Corey. I, I show up to church. I, I show up to my small group. I serve in this ministry, and amen. Please do those. That's a part. That's the bare minimum. But you, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to live and share the gospel. That is your purpose. And we must be a people that prioritizes that above all else. So here's what that looks like. That means as that is the main priority of my life as a follower of Jesus, everything else bows to that priority. That if there is a conflict in my schedule, if there is a tension in my schedule, if there is something I want to do that conflicts with the purpose to make Jesus known, guess what loses? Those things. How do we combat distraction? We choose Jesus as many times as we can over those distractions. And it's hard because our hearts love distractions because they're comfortable. They feel good. Ministry events feel good. When we have a record midweek, I love it. I'm through the roof. There's a different countenance that I come home with when I, we have a good night versus a not so good night. And it, it brings happiness. But at the end of the day, that is not what should be at the root of my heart in terms of my purpose. God did not create me to have a good midweek. God did not create me to check the box of a successful event. God did not create me to be in creature comforts or this or that. God created me for the purpose of knowing Jesus and making him known. So at the end of the day, we know distractions will exist. We know they will come. We know for a lot of us in here, we're eating up with distractions right now. And we know there's some changes we need to make. It's just a matter of, am I willing to make them or not? And let me share with you a story of a time when I didn't make the necessary choices. I was on the mission field back in 09. It was a time when the Lord completely changed my life. It's part of the reason why I stand before you today. Lived in a communist country. It was relatively free of distractions because if we didn't have a lot of bells and whistles as we do here in the Western world. But what I found is in my six-month stint there, my first two months were one, some of the most miserable months of my life, spiritually speaking. In fact, they probably were the most miserable months of my life. And here's why. On the outward appearances, on the outside, I was doing good things. I was seeing things, not necessarily people healed and demon people, uh, demon-possessed people healed there, but I was seeing people come to know Jesus. We saw a collegiate church planted on a closed-off campus in a closed-off country. We saw 36 people come to know Jesus in that time. Praise God, it was amazing. But inwardly, man, it was a dry and desolate place, much like Jesus was praying again. And here's why. For the first two months there, I would do ministry. I would do good things. I would say things to God like, man, I'm doing something 99.9% .9 of Christians in America will never do. 
And this is your time, and I'm checking this box for you, and I'm doing this for you, and I should get this star over here, and I should have this, and I should do that. And I was falling prey to those distractions. Because the ministry there wasn't because I loved Jesus and wanted to make him known. It was because it's what was expected to do. I had to have some good stories when I went home to tell. Because I, I wanted to feel better about myself. And I didn't check my heart in those distractions. I didn't check my motives. And so what happened was it snowballed more and more and more. Till on a mountain one night, my supervisor is sitting there and he said, Corey, what's going on? And, you know, being a, a guy who like walls up feelings, I was like, nothing, we're good. Corey, what's going on? He kept asking me, he kept asking me. And finally, I just laid it on the table and I said, man, I am miserable here. I don't want to be here. And graciously on that night, the Lord broke me of that. And for the next four months, I lived with a heart that was seeking Jesus over distractions. Now, here's the downside to that. When I choose distractions over Jesus, when I climbed aboard the plane in that July, at the end of my six-month stint, on my mind was not the amazing ministry that we have seen done and the lives changed. You know what was on my mind? Those two months. Two months that I lived for distractions and myself and selfish wants and comforts. And I had left some conversations on the table, man. I had left some, some boxes unchecked. And I lived with regret. In fact, it would drive me to go back there two years later, three years later. And because I didn't want to leave there feeling that way anymore. Because when we give ourselves to distractions, it will lead to a road of destruction. And what that destruction is, it's not necessarily like everything goes wrong and this and that, but it's a feeling of being incomplete, that we've somehow wasted the days that God has given us because we've cared more about our schedules. We've cared more about our kids' travel ball schedules. We've cared more about their academics and scholarships than we cared about simply knowing Jesus. How do we combat distractions? We choose Jesus over those things. Is it easy? No. Because the world screams, take care of yourself, take care of your schedules, advance the career, get yours before somebody else gets theirs. That's the path of success in this world. It's wrought with distractions. But at the end of the day, the only life that is fulfilled is a life that is focused on the purpose that Jesus has given. Distractions seek to greatly curtail that. Distractions will leave me at the middle and at the end of my phase, whatever phase I may be in, in life, saying, man, I left it on the table and I am miserable. The only way to walk out of this life with no regrets is to live a life focused on Jesus above those distractions. So if I'm not a follower of Jesus in here, we said it at the top, the only move for you is this. That you would see there's no way out of those distractions. You would see that the only move for you in this moment is to ask the question, how do I know that Jesus who is worth more than what this world offers? Man, I'd love to talk to you about that. Start that conversation today. For the Christians in here, it comes down to a simple question. Distractions or Jesus, what am I going to value more? Am I going to fill my schedule, my time with things that don't really matter? Or am I going to spend my time with the Father so that I live my life out of that overflow and everything else will take care of itself? 
You want to see the upstate change. You want to see the Five Forks area change. You want to see your families, your neighborhoods change. Stop giving yourself to distractions. Start giving yourself to intentional time with the Father, consistently sacrificing to making it happen so that the world knows your clear priority and my clear priority is Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your word. It has been such a challenge to me this week. As much as I've just preached this to these people, Lord, I've even more so been preaching it to my own distracted heart. So many times do I choose the lesser things, good things, over the great things of simply knowing you. God, help me, help us to make whatever sacrifice is necessary, to make whatever intentional effort is necessary to know you more to make you known because that's what it's about God would you move during this time as only you can we ask these things in your name Amen